Good morning, everyone. I will offer just a quick reminder that at this point in the service, you are more than welcome to take a little break from the masks while we we approach God's Word. We are coming this morning to the the last portion of, of our time in Colossians. And as we do so... I hope that you'll see that, that as Paul sort of lands the plane, so to speak, that he does so by, by closing with instruction for us about the simple beauty of the gospel. As he does so, he includes a simple, uh, beautiful call for us uh, to live together in, in the service of the gospel. So as we explore this text, I, I'm, I'm going to... Um, take a, a bit of liberty to read it out of order, if that's okay with you. I'm going to start with verse 7 through 18, as, um, as I believe it sets a tone for where we'll come back to in the first verses. As we prepare to read, uh, read those verses, and I'll make a, a brief but hopefully meaningful point about them, uh, let's ask the Lord's blessing on the reading and preaching of his word. Would you bow with me? Father, this is, this is your word for each and every one of us. And so I pray for each and every one of us that you would give us listening ears. It's not only hear, but to begin to comprehend your, your gracious mercy for sinners like us. Do this, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Again, beginning with verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf and his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be to you. This is the word of the Lord. Did you hear... In those words, 
uh, just a, a warmth and a, and a tenderness from the apostle. He's writing to people that he knows and loves and he's mentioning people who are with him. Those whom he knows and loves and commends them all to one another. And there's just this, this sense of warmth and tenderness that, that after all he's written, uh, he closes with, with that tone. It's, a, it's appropriate, don't you think? Because it captures this, this feeling that, that exists among people who love one another and who are united around a shared set of, of experiences and, and a common cause. For them, it was the cause of Christ. It sounds a lot like a mission trip. Have you had the, the, the benefit, the, the blessing of being able to go with, a, with a, another group of believers to go and serve on a mission in a, in a place? If you haven't, I, I pray that you will get that opportunity or, or, or maybe take that opportunity. You see, when we do that, when, when we gather with a group of believers and go to minister in the name of Christ, our, our hearts are, are moved for the people to whom we're ministering and, and our hearts are united together in that mission. There's a, there's a bond that exists. Oftentimes, mission trips teams will, will gather for reunions because they just they, they share that experience and that bond in common. Well, listen, whether you have had that experience to go on a mission trip or not, in a very real sense, you and I, we're all in this mission together to minister to, to reach our community. It's kind of what we do in a, in a church plant. Nate, Nate thanked the Lord for um, the, the progress in our building, and we're all so excited that, Lord willing, this summer we're going to be gathered together in, in our own building. But I pray that, that we as a church body never lose the heart of a church plant. Because a church plant lives together in a common bond and a common mission. That's what Paul is capturing in these uh, closing uh, greetings here in the text. And he's saying that you and I, hey, we're in this together. And so if we're in this together, what do we do? We pray for one another. That tone, we go back to, to verses 2 through 6. And I want to read those verses and we're going to sort of unpack them with that tone of togetherness in the gospel okay let's go back to verse beginning with verse two continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving at the same time pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That tone that, Lord willing, we, we saw, we heard, and, and Paul, he, he begins verse 
to with a command, with an imperative. Pray. Or rather, continue steadfastly in prayer. To continue steadfastly, it's, it's to pray with a sincere passion, with a deliberate purpose. But as he begins with this, this command to pray with a, with a sincere passion, with a deliberate purpose, he, he says something that, that may catch you a little uh, off guard, a little surprising. I'll paraphrase a bit. Paul says, hey, Christ Church, you pray for me. You pray for me. Actually, in the text says pray for us. So I'm taking, again, a little liberty. You're going to have to forgive me here. But when he says pray for us, he's, he's talking about uh, the, the, the pastoral ministry team of Paul and Timothy. And those that he described in the verses that we just read. He's saying, hey, would you, church in Colossae, pray for us uh, as pastors? And so I'm going to apply that, um, that admonition in our context. And, and I'm going to ask, I, I'm going to beg that you pray for your pastors. Pray for your pastoral ministry team. And, and that extends to myself and Michael, but it also would extend to Jeff and his work with the youth. It extends to Jerry and her work with the children. Pray for us. Let me personalize it. You pray for me, please. Pray for me because because I am desperate for prayer. We are desperate for prayer. Paul clarifies this prayer as praying for open doors. Open doors, because not only are we desperate for prayer, but the work of the gospel, of gospel proclamation, or as he calls it, declaring the mystery of Christ, the work is dependent upon prayer. Preaching and evangelism, this work of declaring the gospel, it is a supernatural work. And for it to be effective, the Lord our God must supernaturally open doors. Or else the message will not enter. You, know, you and I, we, we understand this in ways that, that we often forget. When was the last time you went to the grocery store? You're thinking, and it really doesn't matter which grocery store you go to, because for the life of me as I've thought about it, I can't think of one single grocery store where this doesn't apply. When you, when you walked up to the grocery store, Did you open the door? No. You walked up and those doors just magically opened before you. And you entered in. But you smiled because you know it wasn't magic. They didn't magically open because someone before you came laid the groundwork for that door to open. Now, it may have been sensors that were in the ground... I don't know how they do that. And that maybe illustrates the point even more. If it's a weighted sensor, a motion sensor. However, someone laid the groundwork so that as you approach, that door opens and you enter in. We don't think about it. 
We just walk in. But if someone had not laid that groundwork, we would approach that door and it'd get messy. You seen the bird trying to fly through the window? What happens? It falls to the ground. We approach that door, and if someone has not laid the groundwork, we bang in and bounce off. Friends, the same is true with our hearts. If our hearts are not opened for the message of the gospel, then that is true because our hearts are hardened by sin. There's a, a casing over our hearts. And if that casing is not broken, if the door of our heart is not opened, the truth of the gospel will not get through. So please, please pray that our words don't bang into the door of closed hearts. Pray that the Lord would supernaturally open hearts and that He would supernaturally draw us to those open hearts. That is the first prayer request that Paul gives. Pray for us. You pray for me for open doors. But there's a second prayer request that I'm going to ask for. A prayer request that I see in this text. Pray for clear speech. Please. This message of the gospel is is a supernatural message that is supernaturally received, but we are very natural instruments, and that's the scary part. You know, there are those out there who have the gift for making the complex seem simple. Hey, that's why people like to listen to Warren Buffett. He can take these, these really complex financial issues and boil them down to their essence and make them simple. Sometimes I fear that I have the opposite gift of making the simple seem complex. Earlier in the week, Michael and I were talking through this. This has just been a burden that has been on my heart in the providence of God. He brings us to a text where I'm standing before you begging you to pray for me in this. Burdened by how oftentimes I struggle to make this message of the gospel simple and clear. Michael and I spent time talking through it and praying through it. And, and I wonder why that is. Maybe sometimes it's pride, sometimes it's confusion, and sometimes it's just being overwhelmed by the enormity of the task of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to bear before lost sinners. The truth is, no man, particularly not this one, is capable by the sheer power of his word to bring about the miracle of new life. And that's actually a good thing. It's a good thing that it takes more than the power of my word or your word to bring about new life. But having said that, our words are important. Our words are important because they do convey the mystery of Christ. Yet far too often when we think of the mystery of Christ, we, and I, declare it in such a way that it sounds an awful lot like a puzzle that must be solved. And so you've got to find the clues. 
to open it up as if it's a treasure hunt. Yet for Paul, when he speaks of the mystery of Christ, here he is speaking of a mystery that used to be hidden. That once was not abundantly clear to all of how God would graciously save sinners. But now in the fullness of time, that mystery that used to be hidden has now been made clear. Because we see Jesus. We see Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, the promised Redeemer. He has come. And in the person of Jesus, we see this mystery revealed. So friends, I stand before you desperate. Pray for me that I might declare this mystery with clarity, which is how I ought to speak. Do you know why? Do you know why clear speech is needed? Because the gospel is clear. Because the gospel ultimately is the simple message of salvation. Sin separates us from God. It's just like an argument between friends. When you are in an argument with a friend, there is this, there's this wall of separation that exists between you. you. You know that separation that exists when there is a fracture in the relationship. And what the Bible tells us is that sin fractures our relationship with God and separates us. But it's not this invisible tension. It's a very real, very tangible separation. Sin separates us from God now and for all eternity unless something external happens to bridge that divide. That something external happens through someone external. Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus came and he came for this purpose to reconcile sinners to God the Father, to bring us back, to deal with the separation that existed because of our sin. And Jesus did that by becoming our substitute on the cross. Here is what happened. Jesus took our place. Jesus stepped in and took our punishment, securing our forgiveness, granting us a righteousness so that as a result, we might be given the relationship Given a relationship with God. Elsewhere, Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy 1.15. saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am the foremost. This simple and clear gospel message of salvation in Jesus Christ is a simple and clear message that must be received by individuals. And Paul takes the lead. And he points that to each of us. Jesus saves sinners. It is clear and simple, but it has powerful and profound implications that we will unpack for the rest of our lives. So in this message in Colossians, Paul has put it quite simply. We died with Jesus. We rose with Jesus. We are alive in Jesus. And that simple message is received by faith alone.
This is a salvation that we we don't deserve. This is a salvation that we didn't earn. This is a salvation that we cannot add to. We simply receive it. Simply receive it by trusting in Jesus for forgiveness and life. So pray for me that I would speak it clearly. And I will pray for you that you will hear it. That you will receive it. And that you will be transformed by this simple and clear gospel. Paul is asking for prayer. And and after he asks prayer, a prayer that I will unashamedly own, he transitions to teaching, admonishing, but in a very real sense praying for you. You pray for me, I'll pray for you. Okay, can we make that arrangement, please? The first prayer request that Paul offers for you is to is to walk wisely. Before we deal with what it means to walk wisely, to before we deal with the wisely part, let me offer a question. We're all walking in some direction or another. No one in this life is completely standing still. We're moving in a direction, walking, and so here's the question. In what direction are you walking? Paul tells us here to walk towards outsiders. Outsiders here in this context are defined by those outside of the faith. Those who do not believe in Jesus Christ as Savior or maybe, Lord willing, don't yet believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Before you start worrying too much about uh, Jesus drawing lines between us, separating us, because we don't want to be labeled, do we? In labeling the outsider, he tells us to move towards Yet, some Christians think that outsiders are, are to be avoided as if they have a disease that we might catch. Guess what? You've already got the disease. You've already got the sin disease. But if in Christ you also have the vaccine, so do not fear. Do not avoid. Move towards But Paul says that as we do, as we move towards, as we approach, we are to approach to walk wisely. Again, we might be tempted to think of this wisdom as caution. No. He's not speaking of walk, of calling us to walk cautiously. No, he is telling us to make the best use of the time in other words don't be cautious if by cautious we mean holding back no he's saying run towards the wisdom that he calls us to is connected to the clarity and simplicity of the gospel this prayer that i would declare the mystery with clarity and that the lord would provide open doors it is also a prayer for you. So wisely, 
walk towards outsiders, not trying to do too much. Because guess what? Praise the Lord, it's not on you to save outsiders. Jesus takes care of that. He just calls us to move in faith towards them. Don't overcomplicate the message. Be simple. But I'll pray for you that as you walk, you'll also be able to talk. (laughs) Some of us know all too well we need prayer to walk and talk at the same time. So Paul does that. The second prayer request that he offers is that we would speak graciously. I'll pray for you that you will walk towards outsiders and I will pray for you that you will speak graciously to them. Listen, having heard this gospel, having been transformed by this simple and clear gospel, he's calling us to speak graciously about what is in us. Grace. Grace. And so he describes this gracious speech as speech that is seasoned with salt. Recently, I've been, um, I've been taking some, some cooking lessons. I've found that it's just a... Now, I'll confess, Anna cooks on, during the week. I, you know, I don't want to make too much of this. I like to cook when i got plenty of time. <laughs> it's relaxing. Uh, so I'll do that on the weekends. Uh, I find it's just a great way to take a breath and, and, to, and to be with my family. So as I talked about that, um, my friend Walker, uh, who is a, a fine young chef in his own right, um, he, he did some research for me to figure out the best way to find cooking classes. So Walker researched all this, and he recommended to me that I take the master class. It's way the bunch of different instructors that you can watch and listen to as they teach and so I've been watching master class um, cooking instructions and, and and one of the one of the instructors said something uh, rather profound to me in this he was talking about uh, basic seasonings and in this class on basic seasonings he talked about salt and pepper now we Think of salt and pepper together. We say them together. They roll off the tongue together. We apply them together. But the truth is, salt and pepper are actually very different. Okay? We apply pepper when we want to change the flavor of something. Pepper changes the taste. So we apply pepper because we like the taste of pepper. Now salt is very different. Salt doesn't change the flavor. Salt enhances the flavor. We apply salt, not when we want to taste salt, but when we want to taste the flavor of the ingredient that we are seasoning. Do you see what's going on? Paul tells us that our speech should be seasoned with salt, not to change the message, not to change what is in us, but to bring what is in us out, make it alive. To season our speech with salt is to enhance the flavor. It is to speak in an interesting, stimulating, wise way. 
I, I talked to another friend this week about back when Anna and I first started dating and got married, I brought to this relationship a perfect Sunday school attendance record. You know what Anna brought? A passion for Jesus. Now it was messy, but it was different because it was real. And I could, I could taste it in the way that she talked about Jesus, in the way that she, uh, the music that she listened to. Friends, let our speech be seasoned not with a perfect Sunday school record, but with a passionate love for Jesus. Because Jesus has changed everything for us. I'll pray for you. I ask that you pray for me as well. That our speech would be seasoned with salt. That it would be gracious. I pray for you that when the door is opened through questions, that you would answer authentically by sharing what is most true of you. Are you a Christian today? And if you are here and you are not, we're thankful that you are here. Keep coming. Keep hearing. And Lord willing, you will hear this clear and simple message of the gospel. But I ask you today, are you a Christian? And if you are, what is, what is most true of you? If you're a Christian, what is most true of you is that you were identified by your sin. But in Christ, that sin may linger. We're still a mess. As Christians, make no mistake about it. But the sin that remains does not define us anymore. Jesus defines us. If you are a Christian, what is most true of you is that by God's grace you have been forgiven, that you have been made alive with Jesus, that you are united to Him in a relational oneness, that you have the sure and certain hope of glory, that for all eternity you will be with the One who is absolute in goodness, truth, and beauty, sharing in His glory for all eternity. That is what is most true of you if you are Christian. So pour some salt on it and let it flavor, let that flavor come out in all its goodness. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders and speak graciously to them. So I pray that for you. But did you notice? You and I, I've asked you to pray for speech, and, and I'm praying for your speech as well. Now, one is declaring, and one is answering, as Paul has laid it out for us in Colossians. But the truth is, we're all in this mission together. You, and me, and most importantly, Jesus. So I'll pray for you, and you pray for me, that the message of Jesus would be made simple and clear that we would be transformed and transformational. And that is both worthy of prayer and dependent upon prayer. So I close by going back to the initial command in verse 2. My Bible translated as, translates it as continue steadfastly in prayer. 
Continue steadfastly. Other translations offer a different word. Devote. Devote yourself to prayer. Interestingly, my translation in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 translates to the same word as devote. I've been going through a communicants class lately with a couple of our young covenant children. And as I always do, we, we go to Acts 2.42 and, because it's a great place for us to unpack for the children what the church is and what we do in the church. And, and one of the ways I engage with those young children is I, I speak about this word devote because Acts 2.42 tells us to devote ourselves to four activities in the church, prayer being one of them. But I want to connect with them and so I ask them to help me understand what the word devote means. Think about that. What does it mean to devote, to devote yourself to something? Well, in this last section of, uh, or this last time with the, the, the young communicants, uh, one, of the, one of the young children said to devote, it, it's like being addicted to something. Think about that. Devote, be addicted to kind of catches you off guard, doesn't it? But think about it. What does it mean to be addicted to something? You've got to have it. You've got to have it. You're dependent upon it, and you'll do anything to get it. You will give yourself completely over to the object of your addiction. Now, devotion as addiction might catch us off guard if we think of the object of our devotion or our addiction as a negative But if on the other hand, the object of our addiction were positive, if it were prayer, well in that that case, addiction would be maybe a perfect way to think about this call to continue steadfastly in prayer, to be devoted to prayer, as Acts 2.42 would say, So friends, let us be addicted to prayer. You pray for me and I'll pray for you. That we would know the supremacy and all sufficiency of Jesus Christ. You pray for me and I'll pray for you that the supernatural message of the gospel would be made simple and clear in our hearts and in our speech. You pray for me, and I'll pray for you. That as this clarity and simplicity of the gospel takes hold in our lives, we would come alive in Christ. And together as a group of Christians, seasoned with salt, we would move toward outsiders and insiders alike with the love and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, brothers, Sisters, we're in this mission together. Lord, let it be. Let's pray. Lord, season us. Season us and make what is most true of us. You. Make you come alive in our lives, in our speech, in our movement. Do this we ask in Christ's name.
Amen.